Today is Palm Sunday, right? Today, today is that day that we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the day that he came riding in humbly, on, mounted on a donkey into Jerusalem where all of the people laid their coats before him and, and, and took uh, palm branches and waved them before him and shouted, Hosanna or, or save us. Um, remember, as he came mounted on a donkey, it meant that, that, that a king who was mounted on a donkey as he came in riding into a town was a king who came seeking peace, uh, one who came mounted on a, on a, on a horse um, was one who came seeking war. Um, and so Jesus came seeking peace on our behalf, and his, uh, this is the season that we're going to um, look at that. But we are going to continue for today. For the next, uh, next week, we're, we'll, we'll def- we'll, we're going to have an Easter message, so we'll take a break out of the book of Mark. And then for the two weeks following that, basically what we're doing through our Pastors United in Christ group, our local pastoral group, is that we are together corporately preaching on John 17, which is Jesus' prayer for unity for the church. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed for you and for me and for the churches. And, and so we are going to be corporately, collectively uh, teaching not the same sermon through that, but all of us teaching together through that, uh, through that text. And so I'm really excited about that. I think that's a really cool thing to see the churches come together. So when, you, when you're talking to somebody from another church or something, uh, the two weeks after Easter, you can bring up and talk about hopefully the John 17 and, and, and what their pastor is teaching them and what, what yours might be showing you. But for today, we're going to continue on. We're continuing on in our study. We're going through the book of Mark, um, our series that we've been doing. And today, we are in chapter 5 of Mark, starting in verse 21, and we will be finishing up chapter 5 today. Um, So turn your Bible on, grab one out from in front of the pew and for the chair in front of you. There should be one underneath. Open your own Bible, and let's kind of dive into the text. Um, So uh, I want us to kind of just think about what's been going on. Let's Let's think about where we've been. Jesus, remember, he's, he'd left the crowds. He told the crowds of people, look, we're gonna, I'm going to the other side of the sea. Get in the boats. Let's go. We're going across the sea over there. And remember, he went over there, and he ministered to one person. He left the crowds to minister to one. And he went because spiritually this man needed healing. And he needed such a deep healing that it, 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 you know, nobody had an answer for him. But Jesus did. And Jesus left everyone, went over there, heals this man, heals him up uh, spiritually, sets him free from demonic oppression. And then um, remember, the, the, he casts these demons out into the pigs. The pigs run over the, the cliffs. They all die in the ocean. The people come from, from the local city, uh, from, the, from the, the place of the Gadarenes. And basically, uh, they, they look at the scenario. They look at the situation. They see the dead pigs. They see this man who, they, who has been crazed and yelling and screaming in the tombs, and, and he's in his right mind, and he's clothed, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and they ask Jesus to leave, if he would just leave their land. And, and I think that's the scariest part of the whole story, you know, really, is that, is that they would see all of that, and they would choose to have what they had, the comfort of what they had, who they were, 
um, they were more comfortable with this crazy guy than they were with him saying, and they asked Jesus to leave, and the scary part is, is he got in the boat and he left. Because Jesus is a respecter of our person. He's a respecter of the will, I believe, that, that, that he put inside of you because he desires an authentic love relationship, and that requires the agreement of two. And, and so he, he does that. He, he simply just gets in the boat, and he leaves. And um, the, the, as he's getting into the boat, this guy that he's healed up says, will you please let me be with you? Let me go with you. And he says, no, um, I don't, you, you can't go with me. I want you to go back into the Decapolis, into the 10 cities. And, and I want you to tell them there what, what, I, what God has done for you, what I've done for you. Go, go back into there. And so Jesus then is, starts to sail back across the seas, coming back across to the crowds, which, which I think is huge. I mean, he's, he's willing to go for the one. He'll leave the crowds and he'll go for the one, but he doesn't leave the crowds. He, he'll leave the 99 for the one, but he, he comes back too, right? And, and, and so he's coming back and, and I want you to think about this, what's going on here, because what's happening here is that there's still just a crowd of people that are there. Um, and, and basically, um, what's happening is that there's this one guy in particular there, and his name is Jairus, Jairus. And, and, and Jairus is, he, he's an official of the temple, so in that capacity as an official of the temple, he is one who kind of... Um, who basically interprets Old Testament law. He's one who is, who is respected within. He's a teacher within the synagogue, and he's, and he's an interpreter of the Old Testament law. But he's, he's one now who's come in great faith. He's come to see Jesus, to meet Jesus. But, but you see, he's there for a particular reason. His daughter is dying. And it's, it's beyond the, the place where a doctor could help or something like that. He recognizes and he knows that his daughter is at this present time, that she is dying. And, and, he, and he comes to find Jesus. And I want you to just think about that, like, like that Jesus is sailing back, he's coming across, and here's this guy, and he's got to be just pacing back and forth on the shore. Comes up to the shore, and finding the crowd, hey, where's Jesus at? Where, where is he? Where's Jesus at? Right, at, right I, I need Jesus. My daughter's really sick. I need Jesus. Where's he at? Well, he's, he's, he's over across. He went across the sea. He went across the sea. Across the sea, like over there where they're raising pigs. He went over there. Oh, my gosh. You know, just, just can you imagine just, the, uh, just what's gripping him at this point as he just paces back and forth on the shore looking for a boat to show up with a sail on it. And pretty quick, one shows up. And I bet it took forever for that boat to reach the shore, right? I bet it just took forever for this boat to, to make it onto the shore. And then when, the sh when, when, uh, when he gets to the shore and he steps his foot on the shore, immediately the crowds come in on him. So let's look into the text here. So it says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So there's this great crowds, crowds all around Jesus, but, but Jairus fights his way through the crowds to get to Jesus, falls at Jesus' feet, explains his situation. My daughter is almost to die. Will you please come? And Jesus says, okay. 
and Jesus begins to make his way. They begin to then make their way through the crowd, and, and, and they begin to head to Jairus' house. Imagine for Jairus what, what this looks like, what the, what the, just the, 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 the angst that is within him, within his soul, and just the, the desperation that he has, and he's, he's trying to get there, and he wants to get there as quickly as he can. I bet he's, he's walking on in front. He's in front of Jesus, and he's leading the way, and he's, you know, get out of the way, get out of the way, come on, and he's getting Jesus through this crowd. It says, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. So, so here's a woman, right? And, and, and she is unclean. According to Old Testament law, she is unclean. She has a, a discharge of blood that, that won't stop, and, and, and so for 12 years... She has been fighting this thing. She's been struggling with this thing. She's, she's been visiting doctors and anybody that might be able to, to help, maybe any kind of spiritual help that anybody might, might give her, and physical help. And it says that she has spent everything that she has. She has no more personal resources because of this thing, and, and nobody can really help her physically. She is beyond anybody's help at this point. Remember, the other guy spiritually was beyond anyone's help. Now we're seeing this woman who physically is beyond anybody's help at this point. Nobody has an answer for her. As a matter of fact, the physicians have been trying all kinds of things, and I can only imagine how gruesome that might have been for her and the different things that they were attempting, um, and, and, and they have no answers for her. She spent all that she has. She was no better. She was actually worse because of the care and because of the things that had been going on. But she had heard reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease." So think about this. Now, she comes up. Again, there's a crowd of people, and she is making her way through this crowd of people, and everybody that she touches in the process of that is becoming defiled. They're, they're unclean, they, 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 unbeknownst to them even, but, but anybody that she brushes up to with in the, in the pursuit of this is now become unclean. And I think pretty sure that she's coming up behind Jesus because Jairus is in front. See, Jairus is, he, he is the guy, he's been at the temple. And for the last 12 years, he's probably been keeping a really close eye on her. 
knowing the Old Testament law, knowing that, that she is unclean and that she can't be there and that she's not welcome there because if she goes there, she'll defile the place. And so what does she do? She comes around the religious <laughs> leaders of the day. She doesn't go to them because she knows they haven't had an answer for her. They haven't taken her in the right direction. As a matter of fact, for 12 years, they've been dealing with this lady. He's probably done with her. He's probably over it. He's probably like, this is how we get. When, we are, when, when there's somebody and there's such a struggle and, and they keep in that same place and that same spot, there's just a place where we just get done. We're like, oh, just, just, just go away. Just go away because I don't have an answer for you. I don't have help for you. I don't have anything that I can offer you right now. But she and her faith and Jairus and his faith are both pursuing Jesus for a healing that is desperately needed. Now, so this woman sneaks up through there, through the whole crowd, defiling everybody. She touches the hem of Jesus's robe and boom, she's healed, right? She's healed immediately. She even knows, she can feel and tell in her body that something has changed, that she's had an experience here, that power has left Jesus and it's come into her and it's brought healing to her and now she is healed. And Jesus stops. He stops. Now, now this is an interesting thing too. Imagine what is going through Jairus's head at this point. Imagine what he's thinking. Imagine what he's really thinking Whenever she steps forward and says, it was me. Now Jesus has just stopped for a woman. When he was following the temple official, he stopped now and is making room and way and, and healing and opening up, up, up the possibility of that for a woman. And, 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 and so for us, we're kind of like, well, well, big deal. But trust me, culturally, this is huge. This is, this is one of those times where we see how deeply Jesus ministered to women, how deeply Jesus cared, and how, how, he, how he ministered to them, and how he opened up ministry and life to them in a way that was so radically different, we can't even really kind of wrap our heads around it because we don't really get it. But, but you see, Jesus, Jesus stops for her. And can you imagine now what's going through Jairus' head in this idea that, like, don't stop, Jesus, you can't, we can't stop. And Jesus is like just, hey, hey, who, who did that? Power just went out from me, right? Jesus knows that something has happened. His disciples are like, hey, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's all kinds of people that are brushing up against you, right? But Jesus says, nope, I get that. There's a lot of people brushing up against me, but somebody touched me. Somebody touched me in anticipation and in faith and, 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 and in in a way that all of these people who are brushing up against me didn't touch me. We're, there's crowds of people here, we get it, but, but somebody truly touched Jesus. And when that happened, you see what happened to her, and like we've talked about this with the leper and even with the demoniac, what was on her did not get on Jesus. What was on Jesus got on her, right? That she did not defile Jesus when she touched him, his righteousness covered her. His righteousness came and it made her whole and it made her clean. And you see, she represents, remember, we've been to a place where, where Jesus dealt with the spiritual infirmity. We're going to a place where he's dealing with physical infirmity and sickness. But for her, this is both worlds. 
Because her physical infirmity is leaving her spiritually defunct. Because she's, she's not allowed. She defiles everything. She goes, and here's the other thing. Chance mentioned this the other day. I thought, what a great point. She now also, in making this decision to come up there, had to make a decision to leave 12 years of living this way, of being comfortable this way, of just being in a spot where even though it wasn't good and it was really hard and she was defiled and all of this stuff, she had to make a decision to do something different. She had to make a decision to go and touch Jesus and allow his healing into her life. And now, guess what? What she's kind of relied on and how things have went, and you know, maybe she, she probably hung out a lot in the tent with, with the ladies that, that had to go to the tent at their time of the month and things like that. Now, everything has changed for her, and, and actually, real life now begins. And you know what? We all, don't always want to make that decision to leave behind. Sometimes we're more comfortable in the brokenness and, 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 the, and the messed up stuff that's going on in our lives. We're more comfortable there than we are actually getting close to Jesus and touching him and allowing him to heal us and make us whole. Because there's a reality when that happens, we know then that, that there's actually a responsibility, right, that goes with that. But you see, there, there's this thing too that like only she could be right for her. She could only, only she could do the things that could help in this situation. There was nobody else that could help her. You and I, we have a responsibility, honestly, for our healing, for our well-being. We have a responsibility in this world to seek Jesus out and to allow him to get into the places that are really a mess. You see, everything about this is really just messy. It's not, it's not a pretty thing. This healing that he's going to do here is something that, again, just leaves her... Uh, just defiled and outside of this whole thing, marginalized on the sidelines, but she's got to make a decision to get off of the sidelines and to go and to touch the one who can help her. And now she's going to have to figure out how to live all over again. And, and that's intimidating for some people sometimes. Sometimes that's intimidating. But you see, this is why. And so why did Jesus stop? I mean, I think Jesus stopped for everybody there, including us. You see, because if we didn't get this kind of this thing to, that shows, you know what? Jesus isn't partial. He doesn't show partiality. He just stopped for somebody who touched him and touched him for real as he was following probably the most important guy in the crowd, right? But you see, Jesus doesn't operate like that. He doesn't show partiality. His church isn't supposed to show partiality. We're not supposed to live under a hierarchy. We're supposed to remember that at the cross, everything is even. It's the, really the place. Christianity is the place where true equality actually exists. That everybody is the same. That, that we're all in need. That we're all, there's this reality that we're all broken in, 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 in who we are. We're all defiled. There's nobody here who is right. We're all in need of sneaking up and touching him and that him and allowing him to do in us and through us what only he can do. Can you imagine what Jairus, Jairus is thinking? I keep saying it. Jairus is thinking. It's too late for her. We can't stop here for her. It's too late for her. I've been dealing with her for 12 years. I've got my precious little girl who's 12 years old. Do you see the irony here? This woman's been dealing with this for 12 years. We're going to see that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old as well. For 12 years, this, is, this has been something just ongoing. And now his precious little girl. <laughs> it's, it's 
dying. And he stopped. And I can't imagine what's going through Jairus' head. But it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter's dead. And I can tell you, I know what that's like. I know what it's like for somebody to come in on your Tuesday morning and tell you that your daughter is dead. I can tell you the, the dread and the angst and the, the denial and the fear and the chaos and, and, the, and the I don't know what's going on here that goes through your head and what's going through Jairus' head at this moment. I don't have to think I know. And they said, just why? Why even trouble him anymore? Might as well just let him go because it's too late. It's too late. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Because this is the place where fear takes over. And there's a decision for Jairus right here. What he is going to do, is he going to allow fear to rule the day? Is he going to allow fear to begin to, to have him make irrational decisions for, for, his, for who he's going to follow and what he's going to do from here? Can you imagine the anger that is going through his mind and his heart right now, both at Jesus and at this lady? And Jesus tells him, first, do not fear. Don't let that take over. Don't let that thing, don't let fear be the thing that begins to run you right now. Don't let fear be the thing that you bow to right now. You've got to stand in this moment and you've got to stand in the midst of your, your pain and you've got to stand in the middle of looking at death in the face and you've got to continue to believe. That's what he's telling him. You gotta believe and you gotta believe really hard right now because death is staring you right in the face. And not your death, that's much easier than thinking about the death of your precious little girl. You've gotta keep believing in that time. And if you don't keep believing, if you don't keep trusting, if we don't keep looking into a bigger picture than what's out there and what's around us, then we're gonna fall to fear and fear is gonna begin to have unhealthy results in our life. It's gonna to begin to run us in directions that, that God wouldn't have us go because, because fear is an enemy. It's, it's a liar, right, as the song goes. Fear is a liar. And it tells us untrue things, and it tells us untrue things about God and the character of God and the nature of God and who he is and what's right and what's righteous and what's good and what's holy, and it keeps his church held down, and it keeps us from moving forward into the faith that God says, keep believing, keep trusting, keep looking in a bigger picture. Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James, the, the close, the... His, in, 
intimate kind of core group there. And then they came to the house of the rulers of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside. And when it says he put them all outside, it says pretty much he threw them out. He kicked them out. It wasn't like a, could you, it was like, get out of here. You're right, it's time for you to go. There's, There's not a place for you right here, right now. And there's not a place for your kind of mocking kind of a thing here that, that, that you would begin to laugh at this point. There's no place for you. And it says he put them out. Um, and he brought those guys in and he took the father and the mother and those who were with him. And he went in where the child was. And it says, taking her by the hand, he said, Talitakum, which means little girl. I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And he told her, just rise. And she did. And Jesus brought her back from, from the dead, and, 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 and wow, you know, what an amazing thing. And she was 12 years old, and everybody was overcome with amazement, and, and that's a blessing. And you see, I, I know that, you see, for Callie, she, um, it didn't work that way, at least not here. It didn't work that way here. But I know that she heard Talita Kum. Little girl arise, right? For death can't have you because he's come overcome death. He's conquered death. And this is the season, this is the reason, this is the celebration, this is why we come together this time of year. Because our hope isn't here. It's not in the world around us. It's not in our things. It's not in our pocketbooks. It's not in our status. It's not if we're, we're, we're um, what we have. It's not in our vehicles. It's, it's not in our, our social media status. It's our hope is in the resurrection because all oh, that's ultimate reality there. See, this is passing away. This is temporal. And, and, and the question is, is really, is, is who's going to save you from death? Who's the one who's able? Who's going to save you from death? I can tell you it won't be a doctor, will it, Corey? Each one of us in here in this place, in this space, are going to meet our time where we go to what's next. Till we meet the one who created us, the one who formed us, the one who knew us for all eternity past, who knows everything about you, who knows your good parts and your bad parts, uh, all of the, the little things that are in the closet locked away and all of those things, the one who knows all of those things. And you see, our deepest, greatest fear is that if there's somebody out here, out there who knows all of that stuff, surely he'll reject me. 
Surely he would not want to be with me if he knew all of the stuff. And I've told you guys this before, and I'll tell it to you again. If you knew everything that God knows about me, you wouldn't listen to one word I have to say. But if I knew about you, what God knows about you, I would have locked the door this morning. I wouldn't have let you in. But thankfully, because of grace, because of grace, we can gather here today, a diverse group of people, and we can begin to celebrate what God has done. Not, not, not that he's going to make everything easy here. Not, uh, the, the, the promise is for something different than that here. The promise is for trouble here. I'm sorry. Aren't you glad you came? But the promise is greater than the trouble. The promise is the thing that always holds victory over any trouble or any situation or any circumstance that we have. The promise is that one day, he's going to make it all right. All of it's going to be made right one day. All of it is going to make sense one day. We're going to one day, he's going to turn around the, 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 the tapestry from where we've been looking at it on the backside, and it just looks like a mess, and he's going to turn it around, and he's going to show us the beauty of what he's been doing. And he's going to show each of us, too, how that thread the thread of our life, how it fit into that tapestry and, and how it moved through this life and how it, how it affected others and what it did. You see, God didn't come just to save us right now. He came to, I mean, he, he did, I, I get it, but he came to save us and, and for now to send us, right? It's just like the, the demoniac and it's when he wanted to get on the boat, he was like, I just want to be with you, Jesus. Remember, that's a picture to us in the church. Like that's who we were was this demoniac. And he crossed the ocean. He crossed out of the popularity of heaven and the goodness of heaven. And he, he crossed through a storm basically to, to get here, to come to this side, to meet us, to heal us. But then when we say, hey, we just want to go with you right now, he's like, actually, I have work for you to do. You see, kind of interesting, isn't it? Anna uh, sent me a couple things I thought was kind of interesting because sometimes Jesus tells people to go and tell everybody. Sometimes he doesn't. He tells them, don't tell anybody. Kind of confusing, isn't it? Except if you think about it, generally it's in the, the area of the Gentiles in which Jesus says, go and tell everyone. The Jews were supposed to know. They were supposed to get it. And, and so, so when it comes to the Jewish people, he's generally told them, don't tell anybody. Um, when it came to the Gentiles, he said, go tell everybody. Because they were actually supposed to do that. But they didn't really so well, just like we don't so well. And sometimes we point the finger, we worry about the, the world out there when, when, when God is actually saying, sometimes we're like, God, how could you let this get like this? How, how, can you, how can you do this? How come there's people starving in the world? And how come there's brokenness in the world? And how come there's wars? And how, how come within our community here, the beautiful community that we live in, how come there's such brokenness in families and, and, and things just awful, too many awful things that we don't want to even talk about or explain today? How come they're happening how could you let that happen, God? And I think God says, why do you? I've sent you. You're my hands and feet right now. You see, the church, we want to we point the finger out the window and say, what are they doing there out there? But, but the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. The problem, the, the, the problem is, is that we haven't made disciples like God has called us to go and do. We haven't discipled the culture in the way that God has called us to disciple the culture. We've allowed the culture to disciple us. And that's what's got to change. We've got to become committed, committed to making disciples, committed to investing our life like Jesus did. It was never convenient for him to go to the places he did and, 
and, and do the things he was doing, the ministry, it wore him out. It actually made him pretty tired, didn't it? We see his humanity play out and where he was like, man, I'm, I'm, I got to crash on the boat here for a while. I'm tired. Today is for tired. We're here not to fill our bucket list. You can fill your bucket list next, in the next deal. We're here to work. Now, that doesn't mean I'm against having some good times. I like good times, and I like to travel. I like to do things, too. But we can't let that take preeminence in our mind and in our thoughts and in who we are, that, it, that everything is spiritual, right? For this woman, there was no separation between the physical and the spiritual. There's none for you and me either. Everything that we do is meant to be ministry. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever thing we have, whatever things we have are, are just, a, it's just a stewardship. We're a steward of what we've been given. And one day, we'll be held to account for what we've done with it. So, a couple thoughts. A, this. If you've never reached out and you've never touched the hem of his garment, if you've never recognized your own need, your sinfulness, that, that you've, you've got a problem and that that problem defiles you and that that problem really, the Bible calls it sin. And it's basically anything that's in contradiction to what God would do and who God is. And, and so if you've never asked for help with that, if you've just kind of tried to provide your own answers or solutions and asked others to provide answers and solutions and, 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 and you've just, you know, you've never gotten to that place, then I, I can tell you that that's the first place you got to get. You got to get to the place where you're just out of personal resources. Recognize that there's nobody here that can really change or, or do anything in your personal spiritual condition except Jesus. But he can do everything. He can instantly change it all. And all you have to do is go to him and just admit. Simply say, you know what? This is the reality of who I am. It's not to shame you. It's not to take you into some kind of place or so that God can point the finger at you or so that judgment can come. The reason you need to admit is because you need to get real. Because healing only happens in a place of reality. So when we admit, we step into reality and we open up the possibility of God's healing in our lives. If we won't do that, we live in denial of the reality of what's going on. And, and there's no hope or healing in denial because there's no recognition of a need for healing when we live there. But when we do that, we admit, we say, God, I, I've been wrong before you, but could you make me right? I'm really defiled here, actually, but could I touch you? And if I touched you, would you make me clean? And, you know, if... if, if, if if you were willing, like the leper, and he says, I am willing. He's willing. That's what the cross is all about, is God's willingness to die for us, to, to bring a solution for a problem that we had none for. And so when we open ourselves up and we just ask, God, will you, will you give me your salvation? Will you forgive me? Then he is faithful and true to do that very thing. Power literally goes out of him and in the form of the Holy Spirit, goes inside of the believer. And I can promise you that at that point in time, everything changes. Everything changes. And while I grieve, I don't grieve as one with no hope. I grieve as one who has hope. My hope is in the resurrection. My hope is in the day that Callie and I stand on this earth, the new earth, and we proclaim together 
that God was victorious and that he was right and that he has redeemed all things. That's the hope. And that's the celebration that we have when God says to each and every one of us, arise, right? Arise. And we live in and through him forever and ever and ever. And all of those desires that have been on our heart the whole time we've been here will be fulfilled there, perfectly, perfectly fulfilled there. So don't be afraid. Be believing. When it says only believe, it means be believing. It means a continuous believing in spite of the storm, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the sorrow, in spite of all of the pain, all of the things that we didn't ask for and we don't understand, to stand firm on that place and just keep believing in what he's done and what he will do. Amen? Amen. Take heart. Sunday's coming. Invite someone. Bring them here. Offer hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are that God who would come, who would come to the other side, just like Anna's phone just said, that you would, that you would leave a crowd and that you would come for us individually that, that, and, and, that, and that, Lord, that you don't show any partiality, that there is no hierarchy in your economy, that there is no better than in your economy. We tend to live by a better than, but you don't. And so, Lord, you make possible salvation to whosoever would call upon your name. So, Lord, we're praying this, this morning for anyone who has never called upon the name of Jesus that today might be the day that they respond to that, that today might be the day of salvation that they might ask and receive your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And Lord, for us who, who have received that gift, Lord, we're asking that you would take us deeper. Lord, that, that any fear or anxiety or angst that, that has power or control in our lives would be gone in the name of Jesus. That we would be believing, that we would be continuously believing, that we would be looking to you. And that, Lord, we would be doing the things that you've called us to do and just like that demoniac guy who was now in the, the, the cities of the Decapolis that proclaiming his testimony and amazing all with what you've done in his life, Lord, may our lives look the same as well. May we walk in the good works that you prepared in advance for us to walk in. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.